Well, this morning we are returning to our study in the book of Proverbs. <clears throat> so turn with me once more to Proverbs chapter 3. We will read Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. And particularly <clears throat> this morning, we will be focusing on verses uh, 9 and 10. <clears throat> Again, hear the word of the Lord in Proverbs chapter 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, last week in the book of Proverbs, we looked at chapter 3 and that we saw that there were certain blessings that accompanied wisdom. In particular, we saw that wisdom brings life and peace. Uh, Second, we also saw that wisdom brings favor with God and man. And then third, we saw that wisdom also brings righteousness. Now today, we will consider two more blessings that are accompanied by wisdom. Solomon again says, beginning in verse 8, Do not be wise in your own eyes, Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. And then he says, honor the Lord with your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. For our outline this morning, we will just consider two points based on our text. Point number one is wisdom brings healing. And point number two is wisdom brings prosperity. Now, much has been taught in the way concerning financial prosperity and healing in Christianity today. In particular, there are some men and women who teach that it is never the will of God for you to be sick or for you to be lacking financially. In particular, um, we have an example of several of these men. I'll just quote a few, because again, these are not my words. These are their words. They often say things by faith, financial giving, and the power of words, you can claim these blessings. And so, Joel Osteen, for instance, in a sermon entitled, The power of words begins by saying this. 
I want to talk to you today about how your words become your reality. You are where you are today in part because of what you've been saying about yourself. Words are like seeds. When you speak something out, you give life to what you're saying. If you continue to say it, eventually that can become a reality. Whether you realize it or not, you are prophesying your future. This is great when you're saying things like, I'm blessed, I'm strong, I will accomplish my dreams, I'm coming out of debt. That's not just, po- that's not just being positive. You are prophesying victory, prophesying success, prophesying new levels. Your life will move in the direction of your words. But too many people go around prophesying just the opposite. I never get any good breaks. I'll never get back in shape. Business is slow. I'll probably get laid off. Flu season is here. I always get sick. They don't realize they are prophesying defeat. It's just like they're calling in bad breaks, mediocrity, and lack. Again, Others say the same thing. In fact, in an article by Creflo Dollar entitled Good Health, God's Will for His People, he writes, There is no reason to tolerate anything less than God's best. Illness isn't in the overall picture he has for us. God isn't sick, and there's no sickness in heaven. We can enjoy the same perfect health that he has. Because as he is, so are we in this world. And quotes 1 John 4, 17. Confessing his word of grace reminds us of the authority we've been given by God himself to command strength and vitality on our bodies. We're anything but helpless when it comes to our health. Now, This teaching goes by many different titles, goes by word of faith, health and wealth gospel, or simply the prosperity gospel. And the influence of it can be found all over the world, in every continent, in Africa, in Asia, even in the Americas. Often the leaders of the movement use their influence to abuse and exploit those whom they claim to help and serve. Todd Bentley, for instance, an extreme and heretical faith healer, on one occasion recounts an incident where he says, What do I do, God? And God told me, Just run him down. So I jumped up in the air, and I went, Bam! And I hit him to the ground, jumped on him, and got into a full mount, ground and pound. I jumped on him, and I was in full mount, and something came over me, and instead of punching him, I grabbed him by the neck and started choking him, and I said, come out of him, devil. Now, these stories, or at least his story, sounds too incredulous to be true, but I will say that I I did actually see him at one of his events kick a paralyzed man in the leg. Uh, all in the name of healing. So, you know, I would not put it past him to have done so. Again, there is great abuse 
and exploitation that takes place in these circles. And I, I know of it not just from viewing uh, sermons online or reading articles, but I know of it also from experience. Uh, in the church I grew up in, it was a, um, it was a Pentecostal church, and on Monday nights, every Monday night, the uh, men would gather and we would listen to guys like T.D. Jakes and Noel Jones and Eddie Long and Miles Monroe. And while they did address many different subjects, somehow, going on towards the end, it always made its way back to the subject of giving and sowing a seed. The promise was that through financial giving, sickness and diseases would be healed and your bank account would increase. Now, after listening to these men, I can assure you that they are false teachers. And the Bible has a lot to say about false teachers. In fact, it has some rather harsh words concerning these individuals. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, for instance, Peter writes this, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Later in the chapter, Peter says that these people are unreasoning animals that should be captured and killed. Again, as if that was not enough, Peter also goes on to say in the same chapter, they are stains and blemishes reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Again, false teachers are men and women who often know the scriptures because they bolster their false teachings from the scriptures. Scriptures such as we have before us today. Now, the main question under consideration is this. In spite of the abuses, is there any truth to what these men and women say? In other words, what does the Bible teach us about healing and financial prosperity as taught to us in the book of Proverbs? Let's examine our, our text carefully and honestly. Look with me once more at Proverbs 3, 
Verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Solomon in these verses tells us that healing to the body and refreshment to the bones is dependent on two things. First, he writes, do not be wise in your own eyes. And then he mentions the fear of the Lord. Now, when Solomon says, do not be wise in your own eyes, he's simply saying, do not be proud. Right? Those who are proud and self-reliant will not fear the Lord. How can they? Right? For they presume to know more than the omniscient one. Now here's an example of this. In the book, What He Must Be If He Wants to Marry My Daughter, Vodibachum recounts an incident involving a mother who approached him with a question. He writes, One mother whose daughter was involved with an unbeliever approached me at an event where I was speaking. As he talked, I sensed her frustration. On the one hand, she knew that the Bible precludes marriages between believers and unbelievers. On the other hand, she really liked the young man to whom her daughter was engaged. Moreover, she had watched the relationship develop over the years and felt complicit. At one point, I asked her point blank, what do you expect me to say? I don't know, she replied. I guess I'm trying to find some peace in all of this. Then she shrugged her shoulders and said, I just want my daughter to be happy. I asked, are you saying that there is happiness to be found in disobedience that cannot be found in obedience? You see what happened here, right? God's word was clear on the matter. However, the mother chose to lean on her own understanding. Though she would not admit it, she was being proud. And this is what Solomon is warning against. You see, there's a chain of thought here. A humble person will fear God, which in turn will cause you to turn away from evil. But a proud person, on the other hand, will not fear God, which in turn produces sin. Sin leads to death, but to those who fear the Lord, there is a reward. Now, the blessing that accompanies those who walk in humility and the fear of the Lord is described as healing to the body and refreshment to the bones. In the KJV, the verse is translated as, it shall be health to the navel and marrow to the bones. Now, what's this business about health to the navel and marrow to the bones? Well, in the first place, many um, commentators see the navel as representative of the entire body. And so most translators 
translate it as body. But there is also the mention of this marrow to the bones or the moistening or watering of the bones. You say, what does that mean? Well, in scripture, the mention of bones sometimes refers to the inner man. And so, for instance, in Psalm 51.8, David says, Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. If you, call, if you recall, again, David at this point is referring to God's disciplining hand on his soul. He speaks of it as his bones being broken. So going back to Proverbs 3 then, what Solomon could be saying is that God brings healing to the soul, which we know to be true elsewhere in Scripture. However, I believe that there is a better verse in Scripture, a better parallel to Proverbs chapter 3. Again, if you recall, Solomon makes this comment about moist bones. Well, this idea of moist bones is also spoken of in the book of Job. Now, Job uses this phrase to describe two types of deaths that individuals face. In Job 21, verses 23 to 25, he says, One dies in his full strength, being wholly at ease and satisfied. His sides are filled out with fat, and the marrow of his bones is moist, while another dies with a bitter soul, never even tasting anything good. So Job says that there's one type of individual who uh, dies in full strength and abundance, right? It's obvious because of his size. He's fat, in other words. Others, on the other hand, die with nothing. Now, this text at face value seems to indicate physical health and strength. But was this Solomon's intent? I would say, yes. Solomon in this text is indicating that walking in humility and fearing the Lord provides benefits both now and in the life to come. It is beneficial not only to the soul, but also to the body. In other words, wisdom practiced benefits the whole man. Now, we should not at all be surprised at this, for just as sin has both temporal and eternal consequences, so too does wisdom have both temporal and eternal rewards. And so as one commentator states, the sense of the verse is, this wisdom or fear of God is not only useful to the salvation of the soul, but also to the health and welfare of the body, both as it prevents those diseases and distempers which are oft procured by sinful lusts and passions, 
And as it giveth us an interest in all God's promises and putteth us under the care of his special providence. Again, isn't it true that sin is often accompanied by sickness and disease? Right? Drunkenness is often accompanied by uh, liver failure, gluttony by various forms of organ failure, and sexual immorality by all kinds of sicknesses and disease. So make no mistake about it, sinful living does bring about sickness disease, and death. But wisdom practiced will be a safeguard for your body. It will also ensure, listen to this, physical healing to the body. All right? Now, hear me out. There is healing in the atonement that is both physical and spiritual. It is the whole man that is healed, but the fullness of the promise of physical healing comes at the final resurrection. It is at the final resurrection where we will be transformed. These mortal bodies will put on immortality, And not only will our bodies be healed, but our bodies will no longer get sick. Now, when you're in your youth and you're full of strength and vitality and energy, you never think that there's coming a day when you won't be able to run or your mind becomes dull at retention, or your bones become brittle, or your teeth begin to fall out. Now, I have a full-time job outside of shepherding the flock of God, and I often hear this statement from the elderly, and they're half-joking about it, but also half-serious. They always tell me, Don't get old. You see, it's often in old age that the bill comes due for all the bumps and the bruises that we take in our youth. It is later on that we reap in our bodies what we have sown. Likewise, it is primarily at the resurrection in which the wise son will reap the fullness of the promise of healing. To be certain, God still miraculously heals his children, even in this age. However, the healing that we may experience is only temporary. We are healed only to get sick again and then even die. But there is coming a day brothers and sisters, when all sickness and disease will be done away with and even death will be cured. So I exhort you, brothers and sisters, pray for healing, even in this present age, but set your eyes ultimately on the fullness of the promise 
in the age to come. Well, having considered that wisdom brings healing, moving on to point number two, wisdom brings prosperity. Wisdom brings prosperity. Again, look with me at Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, in the first place, God is certainly not against men gaining wealth and even enjoying it. Proverbs 10:22 for instance states, it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and he adds no sorrow to it. The idea here is that there's a type of wealth that is accompanied by sorrow. And men sometimes do much harm to others even to their loved ones in pursuit of it. In the end, after they have sacrificed everything to achieve this wealth, they are only left with sorrow and misery. On the other hand, the wise son can enjoy riches when it comes since, he, since his satisfaction is ultimately found in his relationship to God. Now in the book of Ecclesiastes, this is exactly what Solomon says again. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes 2, verses 24 to 25, we read, There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen, that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? Now, that being said, here's the tricky part for us as Christians. Sometimes the lines of our enjoyment become blurred, where we begin to take our eyes off of the giver and focus solely on the gift. We may begin to say to ourselves, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, we know what God said to the last man who uttered those words, don't we? In Luke chapter 12, verse 20, we read, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You see, this is the heart of the matter of what Solomon is getting at. Are you rich towards God? You see, it's okay to enjoy your riches, but the wise son knows that his enjoyment of those riches will also be expressed in how he uses his money 
for God's kingdom. In fact, to put it as plainly as possible, giving brings joy to the wise son. It is built into his enjoyment of his wealth. Now, with that said, there is another temptation that comes with wealth. Some hold on tightly to their wealth because they fear that they will not have enough to spend on their desires, while others fear that they will not have enough to survive. We say things like, I have bills to pay. I can barely make ends meet. How can I possibly be rich towards God? Well, let me just say from personal experience, I understand this. But I also know from personal experience that God is faithful and he does provide even in lean years. Again, times of leanness are great opportunities to practically grow your faith and your reliance upon him. So let us remember this command and not forget to honor the Lord from our wealth. Now to honor means to highly esteem someone. In this case, we honor our king by presenting tribute to him from our wealth. We worship and pay homage to him with all that we are and all that we have, which also includes our finances. And so I exhort you, brothers and sisters, worship God with your wealth. Make it a priority. Again, Solomon continues, honor God from the first of all you produced. By this statement, Solomon goes against our natural inclination. We tend to focus on giving to God after all of our bills have been paid and we've given it, given it to all that we owe. But in reality, God should be first. God should be first because he is worthy to be honored. So honor God first. If we meditate upon this truth and let it sink in, then that which comes next will not become a curse and a snare. For you see, God is no man's debtor. When we give to him financially, he gives back to us abundantly. This is made plain when Solomon says, So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. The image here is of abundance. In fact, it is of overabundance. For he says that it will overflow. Now, this principle is not only found in the Old Testament, but it is also found in the New. For instance, Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 32, 38, excuse me, give and it shall and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, 
pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now, in Luke 6, Jesus is talking about both giving and forgiving. The standard by which we do these things shall be the standard by which we reap. If we sow sparingly, we shall in turn reap sparingly. But if we sow abundantly, then we shall in turn reap abundantly. Now this is exactly what the Apostle Paul has to say to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 9, 6-10. In 2 Corinthians 9, he writes, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and will increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now, this again is where that often abused statement of sowing a seed comes from among prosperity preachers. And in principle... There is some truth to what these men say. Their motives, of course, is greed, and their intentions have nothing to do with honoring God, but principially there is some truth. What Paul says to the Corinthians is that when you sow a seed with your finances, you will reap a harvest. Now, it is important to point point out that the harvest is not always financial. It is not always more financial blessing that one receives. For again, wealth is temporal. In fact, Solomon says this of wealth in Proverbs 23, verses 4 to 5. He writes, do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies towards the heavens. Now, as in the case with the Corinthians, sowing a seed may instead result in a spiritual harvest. Paul says to the Corinthians that if they sow a financial seed, that they will increase in the harvest of righteousness. In other words, money invested while here on earth is converted to the currency of heaven, which is righteousness. And when you give your dollars here on earth, you are participating in the increase of righteousness through the spread of the gospel. And so, while all of us might not have the gift 
of teaching. All of us can participate in the ministry of the word through our giving. Your giving supplies the resources necessary for the work of ministry, as well as support the men who labor in local churches and abroad. And this is reasonable. To use an example, there are certain brands or certain companies that you will support and sometimes go out of your way to support because you find value in that business. You might go to a, a, a store instead and um, purchase items from that store instead of purchasing it from Amazon because you believe in the values of that company. It might be a Christian organization or it might say made in America and you want to support the efforts of that business with your dollars. How much more so should we be supporting God's business? For God's business is the gospel. And supporting this business is reasonable. Again, Paul, in defense of his own ministry, states that this is a reasonable expectation. In 1 Corinthians 9:11, he writes, "If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reaped material things from you?" The answer, of course, is no. So give with an eternal perspective in view. It's nice to receive temporal blessings, but but it's even better to store up treasure that will last in heaven. Give, brethren, and give with a cheerful heart. Give cheerfully and not fearfully under compulsion or grudgingly. Give as an act of worship unto God. Now, if the Lord does bless you and gives you an increase in wealth, may you in turn use those resources for the needs of others and for the harvest of righteousness. In closing, I want to end by pointing to the example of John Wesley, who practiced this principle of Proverbs 3 during his life. It was said that in 1732, John Wesley began to limit his expenses so that he could give more to the poor. One year, when his income was 30 pounds, he lived on 28 pounds and he gave two pounds to the poor. The second year, when his income increased to 60 pounds, he still lived on 28 pounds and gave away 32 pounds to the poor. The third year, it rose to 90 pounds, and he gave 62 pounds away. The fourth year, it was increased to 120 pounds, and he gave 92 pounds away. Later, when he he made over 1,400 pounds, he gave 98% of his income away to the poor. Wesley taught others that Christians should make all they can, save all they can, and give all they can. He believed that with increasing income, what should rise is not the Christian, the Christian standard of living, but the standard of giving. 
May the Lord give us all grace to live like that. Amen? Let us go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word that speaks clearly to these things. We thank you that you have given us all that we need for life and godliness. I pray indeed that we would meditate upon these things, Lord. These things that you have given to us for our good. As we reflect upon our nature as sinful and and fallen, and as we reflect upon the grace that we have in Christ, we are thankful. We are thankful for all that you have given to us. We thank you, Lord, for how you provide for us physically, and for those of us who are in Christ, how you provide for us spiritually by keeping us in the faith. Lord, we pray even as we, various, even as we face various trials, whether it be sickness or financial difficulty, that we would ultimately keep our minds and our hearts focused on the eternal perspective. Lord, we thank you for the uh, healing that you provide both now and especially in the age to come, God. Again, when we think of sickness and disease and even death being abolished, Lord, we long for those days, Lord. Even as we get, uh, even as we grow older to our, our final rest and we know the weaknesses and infirmities so well in our bodies, even as we see our bodies break down, Lord, Help us to ultimately trust in your, in your promises of final redemption and, and healing. Lord, we thank you again that you provide all that we need financially. Lord, you, all that we have needed, your hand have provided. Great indeed is your faithfulness. And Lord, I pray that we would be in turn faithful to steward the finances that you have given us so that we could be about your business, Lord. So that we can have our minds focused on the gospel and seeing those temporal things that we contribute in in this age bear eternal fruit, Lord, to the salvation of souls and the harvest of souls, Lord. We pray for those who, Lord, are, are near us. We pray for family members. Lord, we pray for co-workers. We pray for those in, in other countries who don't know you, Lord. Send your word, Lord. Send faithful men who will preach the whole gospel, who would declare the entire counsel of the Lord, who would in turn train up other faithful men and women who would indeed take the gospel to the very ends of the earth. 
to the day when the earth will only be filled with your righteousness. To the day where we will see the harvest of what we have sown in this age come to fruition in the age to come, Lord. Let our, our hearts burn with, with love and desire and eagerness for that day. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.